0: Yeah, to the others, gang. Two sisters, both curious
1: and strange. I'm like they duo and they witty from the brain. It's the magic hour,
0: Mercedes and Jay.
2: Hello and welcome boys and babes to the Magic Hour podcast, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce.
3: Hey, guys. Before we jump in today, I'd like to ask for y'all to please take a moment to help us keep this podcast going and growing. You can do that by looking at your podcast app right now and giving us a five-star rating and writing a quick review.
2: Yes, fam. Leaving us that rating and review is still the best way to help us get more eyes and ears on our show. And it also helps us get the big guests on we'd love to be able to talk to.
3: Yes. So please do us that favor and we'll do our best to keep
2: this show rolling. Yes. All right, then let's keep it rolling. Let me introduce a self-proclaimed former fuckboy. boy. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to learn today. So hold tight. He took a close look at how he was treating others, especially women, and now works with both men and women to evolve together and change the toxic culture he used to be a part of. Using his interruptive and authentic style to get the attention of the masses, he's creating a movement built on the brotherhood of conscious men, brightening the path for men everywhere to bravely venture toward remembering where true strength really comes from, the courageous heart. As an author and consciousness coach, he helps us to overcome our victim mindsets and get unstuck from our limiting beliefs by asking us to really look inward and take responsibility for the part we play in our relationships. And in doing so, he gives us the keys to reconstruct our lives for the better. Please welcome Miles Scott to the Magic Hour. Hi. Hello. How are you, Miles?
1: I'm doing fantastic.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for
1: asking.
3: Pleasure to be here.
2: All right. So who is
3: Miles Scott? Take us through your story. And I'd love to know some of your earliest highs and lows from your childhood that stand out as places that maybe directed you on your path to now.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So a little bit of background information about me. Um, I found my worth in the external. I was always trying to create myself through status and achievement And basically other people's validation of who I was. And so how that manifested into my life was sleeping with women.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Through that, I found an identity, a mask that I could wear that made me feel good about myself. And I didn't realize how that would affect me in relationships until I got in one that forced me to see my reflection. And when when I saw what I saw, I did not like it. And so I deflected it and just my ego was was very self was just in self-preservation mode the whole time. So that caused a lot of conflict in my relationship. That turned out to be one of the most toxic and traumatic experiences that I've ever had. Um and I ended up identifying with some of the labels that she called me after she broke up with me. She had labeled me a narcissist obsessive compulsive liar, manipulator, and super controlling. And I had abandoned myself at some point in that relationship, and I didn't know who I was anymore. And after she broke up with me, the only things that I had left to really hang on to was narcissist, essentially, Mm
0: -hmm. obsessive
1: compulsive liar. So through that, I went through a suicidal
0: depression thinking that I would never be able to love or love, like be loved or love anyone else. And through that, I just
1: started going down a really dark hole, thinking that life was meaningless and that my place in it was meaningless, worthless. And so I was trying to come out of that and integrate all of my darkness and my shadows and understanding what was actually mine, versus what was projected onto me uh, that led me here, trying to help other people shed limiting beliefs, uh, their survival programs, and really step into who they are meant to be.
2: Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're big fans of your work. So thank you. Already um shining so much light on our lives just through your Instagram posts and the podcast we've listened to you on. So thank you for that. We're we're really excited to have you on. Um and so since you had that, I guess, awakening of sorts and you've done a lot of work to step into, you know, your shadow self and figure out what that all is. And you've maybe worked that term "fuck boy," hopefully out of your life, <laughs> your life except yeah. for on the cover of your books. Um, what do you think true manhood looks like? What does being a, a man really mean to you at this point?
1: That's a great question. Um, I would say being a man is learning how to make others feel safe. When you're still in boy mentality and you're still acting from your inner child, you're still in self-preservation mode, and you're still acting from um, ego consciousness, and you're still... It's a very selfish way way of being because you're trying to get your needs met at all costs. And so once you transition into manhood, from my perspective, it means that you're able to now serve other people. And by doing so, you make them feel safe. And right now, we have a very dominant masculine energy in our culture in our society and a lot of this is wounded masculine energy and so in order to heal the masculine energy it needs to feel safe and once the masculine energy feels stable then the feminine energy can then feel safe to to flourish and bloom within Mm -hmm. so i would say it's transitioning from boyhood to manhood by taking responsibility over your life Mm -hmm. um making sure that your life is in order and therefore you can be a safe space for other people.
2: And so had when we're, you, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, <laughs> when we're, when we're talking about the definition of fuck boy, maybe you can give us a clear, concise definition of what that is. Just because I think as popular as it is of a term, I don't think everyone knows what that is.
0: I think a fuck
1: boy is someone who uses women to validate himself.
2: And this can be gender
3: neutral. We can say, I am yeah, a Why fuck girl, the then apparently, <laughs> a,
2: a lot of, the, of most of my life here. Something that has been hard for me in my own, you know, current awakening, which it seems like I go through these every few years and it's getting kind of tiresome, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Can we get this done with? No. Mm-hmm. I know it's an always, ever evolving, always happening process, but um, I noticed that I'm shedding. An identity, you know, uh, and a lot of that actually is tied to narcissism is tied to um, uh, being a fuck girl, I guess, you know, seeking validation from people and from men and uh, all of those things, though. I'm noticing as I shed that identity and transition into something, whatever the new thing is for me, which is, uh, you know, I'm hoping healthier and better because there's a lot of pain coming with the shedding of this identity. Um, It's, it's a lot of grief. Like I'm literally grieving the person and the projections and all the potentials that I had made up in my mind were out there for me and that I was headed towards. And now that I'm like being hit in the face with this reality, because I have an awareness now of what I actually am, what is actually real and what I actually projected. And I'm surely haven't sorted through all of it yet, but as I'm doing that, there's such a grieving process. And I'm just wondering if you went through that as well, if that was what that looked like after your breakup.
1: 100%. Yeah. I mean, that explains my journey perfectly as well. I think what's happening here is that the ego is clinging to the old identity, Mm -hmm. which is where it felt safe. And so naturally, it's going to resist anything new because it's uncertain and therefore feels unsafe. So I think as we start to evolve and as we shed layers, it's going to feel like we're taking some steps back. But it's not taking a step back. It's just uncertainty. So it's how we navigate the uncertainty that allows us to handle the resistance a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you more about that later and we'll dive into that a little deeper. But I want to know for you, what does doing the work look like? You know, for someone who maybe is, is very new to shadow work, um, very new to exploring this realm of their psyche, what does that look like?
3: I would say at
1: first, you know, on the epidermal layer, um, it's learning how to parent yourself, to reparent yourself. It's learning how to take care of yourself and learning what that looks like.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of us fall into these traps of instant gratification and we fail to recognize the harmful long-term consequences of our actions. So those constant distractions like Netflix, for example, if we do that every day, what's that going to look like 10 years from now? So then it's taking inventory over where in your life that you're not making the most effective choices. Mm -hmm. Where are you not using your energy the most wisely? And from there, you start to make promises to yourself. So you say, I'm going to honor my commitment to do X, Y, and Z. And the best advice that I've gotten is incremental change is lasting change. So if you bite off more than you can chew, chances are that you're going to get burned out. Mm. And you're going to seemingly fail, right? Mm. Because you want to give up because you're going to get burned out. Mm -hmm. So taking off little bite-sized chunks, doing little by little, but honoring these commitments. And as you honor those commitments, it takes discipline. So staying disciplined towards what it means to take care of yourself and reparent yourself. From there, then you can start making your unconscious conscious. And this is where the work gets a little bit more difficult. Because as you mentioned before, as you start to make the unconscious conscious, this is what shadow work really means. Mm -hmm you start to identify parts of yourself that you've neglected, avoided, thrown away, rejected. These are the parts of yourself that you deemed bad because they didn't earn you love and approval of other people. And so it's integrating this and finding ways to accept those about yourself that brings you into a more complete version of yourself. Mm. But as you do that work, you're starting to remove the masks of who you thought you were and all the, the projections and all the, the good things about yourself. Cause now you're faced with all these quote unquote bad things and you can really feel like you don't know who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what some people experience as the dark night of the soul, which is when they're resisting those things that they labeled as bad and, and causing their own suffering mm-hmm. through their own resistance.
2: Yeah. I'm in those seals right now, man minute mm-hmm. um there's something you said also just you know maybe for anyone who is starting this work too just to be clear that um shadow work uh, the union term is basically just looking inward instead of reaching outside of yourself for answers um to put it really really simply i guess and something you said was the quality of the questions you ask yourself will match the quality of the answers the universe gives you does that sound about right? Does that sound like you? Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, so maybe just go into that some about how we can go about asking ourselves the questions we need to, um, to ask. And to, to also, side note, getting an answer in the moment is not likely. Also, it's not necessary because it's really like our subconscious, mm-hmm. all it does is solve problems. So we just need to get the right question, right?
1: hmm Yeah, so specifically to my journey, When I was going through the suicidal depression at some point I became aware of the thoughts I was thinking Mm. and the questions I was asking myself and most of those led me into more victim consciousness by asking why is this happening to me why am I such a piece of crap um why does my life suck
0: Mm.
1: and so those questions are going to lead to more negative answers right so why does my life suck the answers that I'm going to get are well because I'm a piece of shit or whatever, right? So you can justify those questions somehow. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask yourself, how can I become happy? Which is what happened to me. Uh, for some reason, that question popped yeah. into my head. And because of that, it shifted my whole perspective because I was now seemingly given
0: a new answer. Mm-hmm. A new so focus. Like, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the quality of
1: your life is definitely correlated to the questions, the quality of the questions that you're asking yourself. So the tools that you can use now is just to have an arsenal of great questions so that you're never sure. So in any given situation, a
0: good question that you can ask yourself is, what's here for me? What can I learn from this? What is this teaching me? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things.
1: Because any obstacle that you face in your life will teach you a lesson if you're looking for it. Mm -hmm. So then, if you become aware of of and ask the question, "What is the lesson here?" You won't stay stuck for long.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Life is happening for us, not to us. Um, and to that point in your life where you felt uh, maybe almost like a victim and and stuck in that mode of depression how did you overcome that victim mindset and how did you get yourself unstuck? Was it just that, I mean, was there a process to the idea of I need to find out how to be happy again? Just, I mean, it, did that just populate in your mind one day or how did you become unstuck? Cause I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is getting out of the muck, you know, getting out of that quicksand.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So because this question posited itself, like randomly it felt, Um, my perspective started shifting. And so I started thinking of ways that I could make myself happy. What does that even mean? And I came to the conclusion that I'd never actually been happy in my entire life because my happiness was always dependent on something Mm -hmm. external to
0: myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then I started asking myself, so what things internal to myself can make me happy? And I I didn't know the answer, Mm
1: -hmm. but what I did know is that I thought I was an obsessive compulsive liar. So at that moment, I picked up a book called radical honesty by Dr. Brad Blanton. Mm-hmm. And I made a commitment to read one page of that book every night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I learned from that book was how to see through my own bullshit. Beautiful. Because all of the questions and thoughts I was thinking
0: were stemming from beliefs that I had to realize weren't even mine to begin with. Right. And all of the feelings that I had stemmed from interpretations that I was making based
1: on these belief systems. And so from those belief systems, those influence our interpretations, which cause our feelings, which then um, cause our thoughts. And so I had to realize that I was creating a reality through someone else's beliefs that I had adopted through social, cultural, and familial conditioning, through any of the trauma that I had been through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then I had to differentiate myself from what I thought to be myself. And I had to recreate who I thought I was. And that in itself was taking off the mask, doing the shadow work. and Getting unstuck. Mm -hmm. Getting unstuck.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's a piece in there that's really important, and that is to realize that this has all come through the conditioning and what we like to call in the show, we call the domestications. You know, what has brought you to be who you are today? All those things you mentioned, all the traumas and all the experiences. And in knowing that, in really understanding that that's what's made you who you are and made you, you know, the, the, the narcissist or the uncontrollable liar, whatever the thing is that you think is the most detrimental piece of your character. It's, Oh, it's not okay. It's something you need to change and work on. However, it's forgivable in the sense that you didn't want those things. You know, you weren't conscious of the fact that those were how you were going to be brought up and your conditioning was going to happen in that way. So I think the forgiveness is a big part too, of getting unstuck. It's like, that's a place we can go. Okay. I see that that really sucks, that that's who I am today, but it's not terribly my fault. It's something I can move from, from here on out now that I'm conscious of it and decide and, and have a little bit, you know, uh, decide where I do and don't have control over my life. And now, I, now that I know that and I have an awareness um, of all those domestications that brought me to who I am, I can go from here and take control over what else I bring into my life as future conditioning <laughs> to some degree. I don't know, we can control it all. Um, So something you mentioned too about this book, Radical Honesty, which is, um, I'll have to look at that myself, I haven't read it myself, but you say something that is about how we take responsibility for the part we do play in who we have become and who we are in this day, you know, today with all the things that have brought us to today. Um, And you say, take, taking radical responsibility is a big part of that. And that means looking at your triggers and looking at the things that are painful and not fun to look at and seeding through that stuff and figuring out what is, you know, real and what is a story built from these traumas and conditioning. Can you go into that a little bit, how we look into that?
1: Yeah. So for most of our lives, we, we have been in victim consciousness. Um, All of our needs were either met or not met as a kid, and we never really saw ourselves as the solution because we never had to. At some point in our journey, we we have the awareness that without understanding that we're the problem, we can never become our own solution. Mm. You can never be the hero of your own story if you're insisting on being the victim. Mm. And so in order to be the hero, you have to start taking responsibility your part in every situation so I'm not saying that you have to take responsibility for any rape or abuse or anything of that nature however it is your responsibility to make the new choices in your life on who you want to become Mm -hmm. and so once you become aware of this fact then it becomes impossible not to take responsibility because you are the creator of your own reality through your own choices And so with awareness of this comes choice and with choice comes responsibility. Hmm. Once you know that you have a choice, how can you ever make the same decisions you once made? Once you know better, you do better.
2: We can't close our eyes and stick our head back in the sand. I mean, we could, but then we'd just be continuing to be the pieces of shits we're trying not to be. All right. So maybe to move slightly the topic slightly, I want to know, um, about attachment theory and how we attach ourselves to our partners and how that becomes unhealthy or can create unhealthy projections and such.
1: That's a great question. Um, So in Jungian psychology, there's terms called the animus and the anima. The animus is the projection of our ideal partner, our soul image, the person that will complete us. So there's two schools of thought here that I'd like to address. One is uh, attachment styles, and the other one is Jungian psychology, the animus and the anima. Um, as far as attachment styles are concerned, um, most of those fall into the avoidant or the anxious attachment styles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fearful is a uh, close second, and healthy attachment is um, less common. So for, as we start to reflect on who we are or who we've been, we can notice what patterns that we have been uh, engaging in. So if we have a fight response, then it's, then it's uh, mo- more likely that we have an anxious attachment style. Okay. If we have a flight response, then we have an avoidant attachment style. And so as you notice how you react to certain things and you become aware of your triggers, you realize how you're starting to either pull away or attach greater to uh, somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um but in order to really like why we even choose partners, um there's a couple different theories that I have around this. So this one is my own and this is we attract all sorts of different people into our life. But we choose the partners who validate how we derive our own self-worth. Mm-hmm. So if you have codependent tendencies and you find your worth in giving and providing value to other people in order to make Yourself feel good and valuable, then you're going to attract and choose somebody who benefits from you doing that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in turn validates how you derive your sense of self worth.
2: And then you end up feeling taken advantage of and everything else, worn, you know, abused at the end of the day. Mm-hmm.
0: If
1: you can't express yourself and communicate your boundaries clearly, because mm-hmm. then not being able to express your truth leads to resentment. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain cases where a relationship like that can work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, as long as everyone's expressing their true feelings authentically. Um, and then in Jungian psychology, there's the concept of the animus and the anima. So for those with the core feminine energy, you're projecting your animus onto the masculine and your masculine people in your life, right? And this is the image. This is your soul image. This is your perfect partner. This is who you conjured up in your mind that would complete you. Perhaps has all of the qualities that you desire for yourself that you don't yet have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as you go through life and you meet someone who's, who closely resembles this, then you can get really attached really quickly because you think this person is going to complete you subconsciously. And so these are the projections of our the things that we're missing internally onto somebody else mm-hmm. and making them our savior. And then conversely for those with the masculine core energy, they project the anima onto women or the feminine energy in order to find their harmony with their own inner feminine as well. But the thing about this is that most men and women or in masculine and feminine energies have not yet cultivated that inner relationship with the opposite energy within. Mm. And it's especially detrimental on both sides, one for the women because a lot of times they've felt wounded by the masculine energy, um, feeling used or taken advantage of or um, degraded in certain ways. So that becomes uh, an issue in itself. and then for the man, they've never for the most part met their feminine energy period. Mm. So on both sides, we need to meet our opposite energies and then start to harmonize them within so that we stop projecting this image onto other people. Because as we project this perfect partner onto other people, then we start becoming blindsided by... We overlook all of their flaws. And then when it's time to let go, we can't because we think that they could complete us. Mm. And that's why letting go is so difficult because we're projecting who we want them to be onto them and disregarding who they actually are. Mm
3: -hmm. So when is it safe to say when someone does feel like they find someone who is a perfect, they're not a perfect person, but they're a perfect partner for them. um, How, how can, what questions can they ask themselves so that they know that they're not projecting?
1: I think it really stems from identifying what you're missing within And in some cases, it's really hard to do that on a solo journey. Mm -hmm. And that's also why relationships are our greatest teachers because Mm -hmm. you're constantly faced with your reflection
0: Mm -hmm.
1: over and over and over again. So I would say, like, you don't have to wait to get into a relationship until you're healed. But, you know, you do want to do some self reflection after Mm -hmm. the last relationship to learn what lessons you needed to learn. And you're going to be constantly evolving and growing in every relationship that you go into. Mm -hmm. So there's really never like, we're never going to be completely perfect. And I think it's offering ourselves grace and compassion, knowing that we're just going to continue growing. And you know, there's never a right or wrong time to enter a relationship because you're going to learn something from it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an important part of that of when you get out of a relationship, to take time to assess what happened there and what you know you need to change so that you're not just getting into a new relationship, basically replacing your old partner with a exact you know duplicate of uh, the same situation, so that you run the same pattern. And sometimes, I almost think we swing to the other extreme. It looks on the surface level like this person we're getting into a new relationship with now is the complete opposite, so that convinces us that that will right. be. You know, we think it's the complete opposite of the person we just broke up with. We think that'll be the solution, but it ends up you're still running the same old patterns. Um, mm-hmm. And also another point is uh, that I think is important is something that Teal Swan says, which is in order to heal relational trauma, it needs to be done in relationships. So to speak to your point, Miles, about um healing happens in relationships on purpose like humans are drawn to other humans on purpose not just for the procreation part but i think our psyches need that type of social interaction in order to heal the traumas and you know progress and ascend into these amazing beings that we're here to we're here mm-hmm. to become um i wanted to know though on the attachment thing is there any books you you read or recommend or even on the anima and animas um Jungian realm, is there something that you read that really helped you get to that idea, understand that idea?
1: Um, For those who want to get deeper into that, I would just start your journey researching Carl Jung, finding all of his material. Some of the books that I read are very... Um deep like very heavy. Dense. Dense, yeah. <laughs> dense and heavy, it wouldn't be the best recommendation for everybody.
0: Mm.
1: And some of the concepts in there could really cause more harm than good if mm. simply because a lot of the concepts in there um can cripple belief systems.
2: Mm. And they're broad, right? And it feels like if you It can be seen as broad, I want to say, like, when you think of, of a theory, um, that is kind of saying, like, it's almost saying like, this is a new religion. Like I think about union psychology and it's a, it's a sense that there's a religion to it, you know, and because it becomes a practice, something you need to do on a consistent basis to dig through all your shadow work, to, you know, do the dream psychology portion of it and <laughs> journal all your dreams. Like it becomes your whole life if you want it to. Uh, and we have a lot of union psychologists on this show. So, I, I think maybe our, familiar, our our listeners might be familiar now with some of these terms, which is awesome. Uh, but to that, I wanted to say, miles, thank you for being a bridge because I know that you have a lot of depth in your knowledge in the realm of psychology and healing in relationship and all these things we're talking about today, and you I know because I've listened to a lot of your work now and, and a lot of you uh, a lot of what you've done as far as on podcasts and such um, you are talking to the masses. You're not talking to just people who are already, you know, finding their spirituality and they're already in the work. You're talking to the regular people, you know, the people that need this most. So I just want to really say thank you for being a bridge in that way. That's really um, honorable work. I think you're leaving a, leaving a legacy by doing that.
3: Yeah.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that acknowledgement.
3: Can you explain to us uh, this piece of your movement that, Involves why you targeted women with your content and how that is supposed to play into the goals you have around raising consciousness and awakening men to step toward their highest selves?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I first started this journey, I coined myself a former fuckboy. And because of that, most of the content that I was producing was um, catered to women. Because my idea at the time, and it's since changed, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: was that if I can help women understand the inner workings of the fuckboy mentality, that they won't put up with it anymore, which would force men to change.
0: And since then, on some level, like now I speak to uh,
1: both men and women, my messages are more universal. Um, There are some that are geared still to the feminine. However, my main goal is to really help people just identify the barriers that are preventing them from the life
0: and love that they deserve now. And I went through a an identity crisis, um, another
1: dark night of the soul, if you will. But this one was a lot easier because I was shedding that former fuckboy label, so I could step into the man that I wanted to become. Mm. And by labeling myself former fuckboy, I was still carrying around these lingering energies from, from my past. And that wasn't serving my highest good and it wasn't creating, it wasn't necessarily creating the impact that I would love to have and create in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in order to shed that, um, it also left me with, okay, well, who am I now? How do I represent myself on social media?
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of
1: content do I create? I was having this internal conflict And I realized then that I needed to dive into more inner work. And so from there I went into different men's groups and I tried to figure out what it meant to really be a man. And from there that led me on another path. And so now I'm actually, my content is geared more towards um, the collective to everybody because there are universal issues that we all struggle with. Mm
0: -hmm. And at the
1: same time, I'm currently developing a men's group or men's team so that we can provide uh, a safe space for men to be vulnerable within and and deal with their their stuff, their darkness, and really learn to um, feel fulfilled and learn what it really means to be a man in today's society.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, Brene Brown's doing such a good job of helping us all realize that vulnerability is uh, a form of bravery and it's not a weakness and re uh, asking us to reassess what we might have formerly believed in the culture of you know aka toxic masculinity or whatever we want to call um what we're coming out of now so it's a really beautiful journey i'm glad you're you're so much a part of that yeah thank you um you've been open with and you've already talked about here on the show dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts in the past um, I wanted to know what has been your most beneficial tools maybe in maintaining balance in those places that can pull us back into that type of hopelessness.
0: I
1: would say one of the greatest things that I ever learned was that I have worth simply because I exist. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we fail to believe that because of
0: all the conditioning, because of all the shame and guilt that we carry. And I can tackle... Um,
1: I can tackle self-worth in a a variety of different ways, but one is that we have it inherently without having to work or achieve anything. So on a a spiritual level, we have worth simply because we exist, because we are all part of the whole. You're all connected through the cosmic mind, the universal, the universe, the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And because of that, we all have a part to play. We are all fulfilling the universe's intent to become aware of itself through us. The reason that we have an ego is because that leads to consciousness. And so we are bringing the unconscious, the collective unconscious, into the collective conscious. And by doing this, we fulfill the universe's intent to become aware of itself. Now, what that means is every breath on earth... Every second that we live here has purpose, has meaning, and it's a gift. And because of that, each each and every individual, no matter what value they give to society, has value, meaning, and purpose. That's from the spiritual level. But it's really hard for me, especially since I'm super logical, to swallow that pill. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I don't feel self-worthy. Cool, I might have self-worth, but like, You know, I'm not going to sit around at at home and meditate all day in a society where I have to create value out of thin air. Mm -hmm. So then it comes down to having, knowing about your inherent goodness. And so I like to ask people a couple questions. And this also helps release shame and guilt, which are the barriers that prevent us from feeling like we have self-worth. And so these questions are, do you have good intentions? Mm -hmm. Most people say Yes. Do you intend to harm another person? Most people say no. And because of this, you're inherently good as a person. The core of your being is good. In, you have inherent goodness to you. Hmm. And even though you've made decisions in the past where your impact might have harmed other people, it doesn't change the nature of who you are at your core. It just means that you are making decisions in a less aware state. And so through this, you can find deep understanding and compassion for who you were in the past and the level of awareness you had then. And through this, you can forgive yourself, release shame and guilt, and start believing that you have worth because you are inherently good as a person. Then it comes down to creating worth, but not externally. It comes down to internally. And what that means is keeping promises to yourself, setting and enforcing boundaries, Protecting yourself from abandoning yourself.
0: Protecting yourself, protecting who you're becoming. And through that, through honoring your commitments to yourself, you learn to feel self-worthy.
2: That's a lot because I feel like it's, it's a, again, it's a theory, you know, it's a religion in itself. And I struggle too <laughs> with the idea that we can assign ourselves worth because we exist. Um, largely because I feel like so much of the difficulty of being human is being able to keep the idea in our head that we, everything is so important. We're the center of the universe. And at the same time we're complete chaos and nothing matters. (laughs) We're just on this, you know, pale blue dot spinning in the middle of the cosmos and, and it's, and it's infinite. So our human brains can't even understand what that all means. So I get the idea that we want to focus on the positives. We want to focus on the good because we have this one experience, or as far as we know, we have this one experience in this human body, you know, this, this meat suit, and we are doing our best to make it a a pleasurable one because it feels good to us. And so I can assign to that. I can say, okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, focus on the stuff that makes me feel good most of the time or more of the time and balance it out with some shitty days that feel like, okay, I'm learning something new. I'm growing, I'm evolving. And there's probably pain involved. Hopefully one day I don't have to have pain be the only form of the only pathway for me to get to evolution. But, um, so yeah, I struggle to stay in the gray when it you know, like I struggle with those two opposing ideas, the darkness and the light, the the black and the white, the all that. Do you have I mean it sounds like you have had a lot of that you've contemplated that a lot on your own. Do you have anywhere to go with that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so some would say enlightenment. Enlightenment is the
0: achievement of Being in neutrality. So, this becomes
1: a quest of learning how to see everything as neutral, especially emotions, right? So, like what we consider darkness isn't darkness until we assign it a label, a meaning. And that's exactly what we do with emotions, too. So, because we interpret this darkness as darkness and therefore on a scale of bad versus good, we're then interpreting it in a way that makes us feel bad. So it's coming to terms with
0: Mm. the fact that emotions are just energy. It's energy in motion. And energy,
1: by itself, is neutral until we assign it a meaning. So, in essence, darkness is just as neutral as light. But it's the meaning that we assign it it mm. creates the resistance so it's learning how to interpret this darkness in a way of neutrality and once we do that this is called alchemical transmutation It mm. can lead us to enlightenment
2: hmm. I have to sit with that, Miles
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you um, for that
0: Yeah, of course
3: when it comes to using the knowledge of sexual polarity and energetic agility, um, you know, navigating the masculine and feminine energies, how do you use this in the work you're doing with men?
0: Um, so this is a great question. And specifically with my
1: private clients, since my group, my men's group, isn't out yet,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I help them understand how to create sexual polarity in relationships. And this comes down to, and this is very controversial, and a lot of feminists are probably going to, like, you know, raise their hands at me right now. Mm-hmm. But this comes down to, like, if you want a long-lasting relationship with sexual polarity, each, the, the masculine energy has to create a safe space for the feminine energy to feel safe enough in order to flourish and bloom. Mm. Once the feminine energy feels safe, she becomes more attractive to him and also attracted to him. Mm. And I help men learn how to create that safe space while also retaining what they feel like is the sum total of their own masculine identity. If the, if the masculine energy or if the man decided to be 100% vulnerable all the time, it's okay to show your emotions, but to be overly emotional is going to break the safe container over time, over the long mm-hmm. run. This is something that gets overlooked. And then the feminine energy in that space has to adopt more masculine energy to then balance it because then if the masculine energy is being more overly emotional all the time then she's going to have to adopt more masculine energy and take over that role so that's Mm -hmm. going to reverse the sexual polarity in that case yep now if the feminine energy identifies as her core dominant energy as feminine then being too far into her masculine energy all the time is going to drain her Mm and and that's gonna cause issues in the relationship. The man is going to feel, um, could could feel, uh, I wouldn't say threatened, but like, he doesn't feel like it's the sum total of his masculine identity if she's being the masculine energy most of the time. She's also gonna feel drained and there's going
0: to be um, a dynamic that isn't as fluid. So I help
1: men understand what it really means to to create a safe environment and also how to retain, um, to keep the relationship fluid while expressing their vulnerabilities, being, you know, uh, expressing their emotions, being there and holding space for their partner, Mm -hmm. while also like really retaining who they are as a man.
2: (sighs) That's beautiful. We have... um... We've awesome. had, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of uh, people who are very, you know, mm-hmm. versed in in sexual clarity and sexual uh, or energetic agility on the show. And and for anyone listening, of course, go go back and listen to to any of those. Justin Pierce is my favorite, so or fair. London Angel yeah. Winters, or Mad, mm-hmm. Mad-, Mad- Moon. Mm-hmm. We've had a few that are gorgeous interviews, but. That is a piece that I struggle with so goddamn much. If you couldn't tell already from, from being sitting here with me, Miles, I live very much in my masculine a lot of the time, um, which has allowed me to do things like birth a podcast and have, you know, other businesses that are, that are going right along. And, but it's also caused me a lot of strife in relationship, of course, because I am, um, heterosexual so (laughs) the men that i want to be with first of all i attract men into my lives that are willing to play maybe the part of uh, more of the omega you know versus the, the alpha more of the time and however of course because my core energy is feminine um or my primary energy is feminine right um I don't want to be playing the alpha all the time. I don't want to be in my masculine all the time, uh, of course. And, and, you know, digging up the traumas and the, the, the stories from my childhood that have created this identity of mine that is very much, um, living in the masculine lot being this business minded, logical person. Uh, I get that that's all part of how I untie and unravel all the stuff that is um, keeping me in this zone where I would rather be more balanced, you know? And so I'm working on that. This is the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two. We'll see you there. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and
0: Jay.